Would you please stand in honor of God's Word as I read the Palm Sunday account from Matthew 21 and Luke 19. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethany at the mount called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You may say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks along the road. And he was drawing near already on the way to the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day, the things that made for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. They will not leave one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered into the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany, and lodged there. You may now be seated. Pastor Al will come to you now in the first person sermon. He'll tell you the story again through the eyes of the Apostle John. I want to pray before he speaks. Lord, we want to bless your most holy name. I pray that you will open our ears and prepare our hearts to receive your word today. We praise you and we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and your great love that we do not deserve. Amazing love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See this new technology. Back in the days when I lived in the first century, we didn't have to worry about this, but now I'm on. Am I on? There we go. Greetings in Jesus' name. I am John the Apostle. I had the incredible privilege of spending three years with Jesus while he walked this earth. Oh, the stories I could tell. I concluded the gospel that I wrote by saying that if you could write in detail all that Jesus did in those three years, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You have no idea about all the activity that went on and what it was like to be with him 
Those days seemed so endless, and then suddenly they were gone. Those were actually the best years of my life. Well, this being Palm Sunday, I thought I'd tell you my version of the story. We didn't call it Palm Sunday like you call it today. It was just another day in the feast of the Passover, the day after Sabbath. You see, every year, several hundred thousand Jews would gather in Jerusalem for a week and gather from all over Judea and Galilee to celebrate the great exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. And so Jerusalem and the surrounding hills became a huge tent city. You had kids and vendors and animals running all over the place, and there was laughter and music and dancing everywhere you went. Well, this now-celebrated Sunday started out with great joy because on that day, Jesus presented himself as Israel's Messiah. And people were cheering and praising him, even though many of them didn't have a clue what was going on. The mood in the crowd was electric. I never felt anything quite like it. But I have to tell you, it turned out to be one of the most disappointing days of my life. But I'll save that for a little later. Jesus and all of us disciples decided to go to Jerusalem for the feast. We rarely went to Jerusalem, and Jesus thought it best if we made our headquarters at Bethany. So we got there six days before to relax and to visit with our friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus and a few good friends, and word got out that Jesus was in town, and it spread through the countryside like wildfire. You see, just several weeks before, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And it was still the talk of the region. And everybody wanted to see this rabbi who could raise the dead. And anticipation was high that he would come to the feast. Jesus surprised me. His pattern was to shun the spotlight. He'd do a miracle and then he'd tell people not to say anything. And he'd often go to secluded spots and he never wanted to be the center of attention. So, when he asked Peter and me to get him that donkey so he could ride it to the feast in Jerusalem, <laughs> I was amazed. I mean, Jesus really broke with pattern there. He never rode anywhere. He always walked. I'd grown to trust Jesus through, though there were many times that I couldn't figure him out. All I know is that when he told me to do something, it always worked together for good, even if I couldn't understand it. And so Jesus told Peter and me to go to a specific residence in a nearby village near Bethany to untie a donkey colt and to bring it to him. <laughs> and I thought to myself, shouldn't I ask someone first, will we be borrowing or will we be stealing? And he seemed to read my apprehension and he said, now if someone questions you, just tell him that I need it and he'll be happy to send it. I have to admit, I still felt a little awkward as I walked up there and untied that animal. And I thought we were in the clear. When all of a sudden someone said, hey, what do you think you're doing there? And I told him what Jesus told me to say. And he said, oh, okay, go ahead. And I led the cult away. Immediately, I thought of two problems. First, Jesus said the cult had never been ridden. <laughs> I could see Jesus getting on this unbroken donkey colt. 
and it jumping all over the place and Jesus on its back and worse yet, Jesus getting bucked to the ground. And the second problem was it had no saddle. And people preferred saddles. And we wanted one for our Lord. And so Peter and I took off our cloaks and we made a makeshift saddle and put it over the colt. When we got back to Bethany with the donkey, Jesus was waiting for us. He didn't want, we didn't want Jesus to get hurt, so some of the disciples held the colt, and Peter and I helped him get on it. And I couldn't believe it. The colt seemed to beam with pride as though this were the moment for which it had been born. I mean, these animals aren't as dumb as we think. Remember the account in Numbers in the Old Testament about that donkey? This sort of kind of prophet named Balaam was riding his donkey when it was stopped by an angel of the Lord. And, and remember what that donkey did? The donkey assessed the situation and actually spoke. Yes, talked to Balaam. And so it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the donkey that Jesus was riding on knew the privilege he was having Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem on the main road from Jericho. You have to ascend the Mount of Olives and then you descend through the Kidron Valley and then you go up another rise through the Eastern Gate and the temple is just beyond that gate. So off we started from Bethany and sure enough, word got out. That's Jesus riding on that cult, they cried. Jesus is coming to the feast. At first, there was just a handful of people as we left Bethany along the roadside. And the closer we got to Jerusalem, then there were hundreds, and then there were thousands lining the route. It was incredible. People were spreading their garments over the road, and they were cutting branches off the trees, and they would put them right where Jesus was walking. And you see, that was a custom. People did that in those days when kings and other dignitaries came to town. Well, as I said, when we started out from Bethany, there was just a group of friends going to the festival. Now, it was a big parade. Hundreds of pilgrims walking in front of Jesus. And then it was Jesus. And then it was us disciples. And behind us were Lazarus and Mary and a few of our friends from Bethany. And behind them, hundreds of other pilgrims. And the crowd behind us and the crowd in front of us and the crowds lining the side were chanting Psalm 118 so loudly we couldn't even hear ourselves think. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well, in the three years I'd been with Jesus, I'd never seen anything close to this kind of response. I was thinking to myself, this might be the dawn of a new era. Wouldn't it be great if this were the start of the new kingdom he kept talking about? I could hardly contain my excitement. We had just passed over the crest of the Mount of Olives when I saw the full resplendent city of Jerusalem spread before our eyes. The golden city of God glistening in the brilliant sunlight. What an awesome sight. And the temple. The temple was the centerpiece. 
It was stunning. It was magnificent. This Sunday was going to be the greatest Sunday of all with Jesus, and I could sense the adrenaline pumping. The last thing I expected was trouble. Trouble. All of a sudden, some things began to dampen the celebration, for not everyone in the crowd was happy with the parade. How about a word of background? The Pharisees? The Pharisees were a sect of Jewish religious leaders. And they'd been a problem for Jesus since the start of his ministry. And they felt threatened by him. And they grew to hate him. And they wanted him dead. And they didn't care who knew it. They were brash. They were bold. They were shameless. And in the middle of this procession, some of them got right in his face and said indignantly, Jesus, silence this crowd. What they're doing is out of line. (laughs) I never saw Jesus back down from one Pharisee. But there were many times I wanted him to use more muscle when he dealt with them. And he used to say, well, my, my time has not yet come. And he'd move out of public view for a while and I... I was wondering, what would he do this time? He allowed the celebration to continue. He said, listen, if I silence the crowd, the stones will cry out. This parade will continue. Now, perhaps you've never been to Jerusalem or Judea and Galilee. While the place is a virtual pile of rocks, You've never seen more stones anywhere in the world. Talk about a potential potential mega chorus of praise, millions of rocks. Boy, did Jesus ever shut down those Pharisees. You know, it's dangerous to be religious and not want to cry out the praises of Jesus. It speaks of a hardened and barren soul that might find itself surprised by a rock concert. We were about to approach the eastern gate when I looked at Jesus. I was taken back. He wasn't reveling in the celebration at all. He was bent over his cult, and he was sobbing, and he was wailing. And I heard him clearly even over the noise of the crowd. He lamented between sobs, if if you only knew what this day could have been. I could have been the beginning of peace. But you don't understand who I really am. Therefore, the day is coming when someone else will conquer you. They'll level everything in sight. This temple, the city walls, and all your houses, and many of your children will die. It was as though he could actually see the destruction coming 40 years later by the Roman armies. After several minutes, he regained his composure. I'd never seen the Lord more emotional. Well, we passed through the gate, and the crowd was still going crazy. And I'm figuring this festival is going to be the best one ever. I was really looking forward to the time when I'd look at Jesus and he would usher in the kingdom. But I looked at him again. And this time, this is what I saw in his face. No longer tears. It was anger. And he said, let's head for the temple. 
As we approached the temple area, Jesus got off his colt and walked into the court of the Gentiles, the outer court of the temple complex. Something terrible happened in that very spot every year, every Passover. According to the law of Moses, the Jews had to offer appropriate sacrifices. And since most of the Jews traveled a long way, they couldn't bring their animals with them. And so they would go to the court and they had foreign money. And in that court, they would go to the officials and they would have to exchange their money and then buy the sacrificial animals. Listen, I couldn't stand it because these temple officials gouged the people twice. They charged them exorbitant currency exchange rates and sky-high prices for those animals. It wasn't right. It was a terrible thing. So Jesus raised his voice and he shouted, Out of here, every last one of you! Incredibly, in a few seconds, the place was empty. And he overturned all the money tables and the seats of all the merchants. And then he came outside and he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now the crowd was hushed. Tension was in the air. I overheard some of the chief priests and scribes muttering, we got to find a way to destroy this man. Next thing I knew, Jesus was on his way out of the city, heading back to Bethany that night. And we finally figured out where he was headed, and all of his disciples went with him. What started out to be the most exciting day of Jesus' ministry turned out to be an extremely disappointing experience in the end. And now that I've had some time to process what happened and what I was feeling that day, I decided that I'd share with people from time to time what was going on inside of me. And today, I want to share my disappointments with you along with some good lessons that I've learned from it all. First, I was disappointed because Jesus didn't usher in his kingdom that day. For three years, I heard Jesus talk about his coming kingdom. And we Jews were tired of Roman oppression. We lived in constant fear. So as we were making our way to the feast and thousands of Jews were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and Jesus wouldn't quiet them down, I was thinking, I can't believe it. Today, the kingdom is coming. Now, I wasn't the only one thinking this way. Do you know what the word Hosanna means? It's a prayer addressed to God, and it means save us now. I think everyone was expecting Jesus to save them from the oppression of Rome and to set up his earthly kingdom, and I was convinced that this would be the day Jesus would claim his rightful throne. Now, I'd seen Roman victory parades before. The general would come riding into town in a golden chariot drawn by huge white stallions, and behind him were the officers and troops in martial array and splendor, waving banners and flags, and in the rear of the procession were their prisoners and slaves in chains, and the crowds would put their their cloaks and palm branches as they went by. That's the way they did processions. Now, I knew that Jesus would be a different kind of king. So it didn't surprise me at all to see him riding a colt instead of a chariot as a symbol of majestic humility rather than pompous ceremony and brute force. Yet on that day, 
everything seemed so right for him to take over the temple and overthrow Rome. But he didn't. He didn't. In fact, by Friday night, his enemies, enemies succeeded in having Rome put him to death. I was never more devastated in my life. Yes, I was incomparably grateful that Jesus rose from the dead, but even as I speak, he has yet to usher in the kingdom of which he spoke. I learned a valuable lesson from all of that. The will of God and what I'm expecting may not be the same thing. It was not the will of God for Jesus to set up his kingdom at that time, but it was the will of God for Jesus to come to the Passover feast on the very day the lambs were selected to be slain for the Passover. No, it was not the will of God for Jesus to rule an earthly kingdom then, but to die as the Lamb of God on a cross. There are times when I really want God to do something, like to take away this problem or to heal one of my friends. And I pray with expectancy, but it doesn't always happen. And honestly, there have been times that I've felt disappointment with God. But I've learned over the years that His ways are not my ways, and His thoughts are not my thoughts. And I've learned to trust that he knows what he's doing, even though <laughs> there are some times I'd probably do it some other way. I've learned to submit my will and my plans and my expectations to his will. It's not always easy, but it's always right. The second disappointment I felt was with the crowd. They were praising Jesus and smiling that Sunday. It was a frenzy of support. They were shouting, blessed is the king, Hosanna to the son of David. It was like one huge worship service full of passion and celebration. I'd seen those kinds of crowds before. Jesus would feed them and thousands would follow him. Why? Because they wanted Jesus to feed them again. In fact, one time Jesus told the crowd, you seek me because you ate of the loaves and were filled. But after Sunday... Jesus wasn't the kind of king they'd expected. No might, no grandeur, no overthrow of Rome. And by Thursday night, the same crowd that shouted Hosanna on Sunday was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. I was stunned. And here's the lesson I learned here. Religious crowds can be very fickle. They tend to follow Jesus because of what he can do for them. But when they have to deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow him, they tend to fall away. And so I've seen it a lot over the years. Crowds love to celebrate Jesus when they get what they want from him. But when it comes to the grunt work of prayer and forgiving somebody and giving up what we own and forsaking the allurements of this world, the crowd really thins out. The third disappointment was with me. <laughs> I know the Old Testament pretty well. It's filled with prophecies about the birth and life and death of Messiah. And I've read those prophecies dozens of times. 
Take Zechariah 9.9, for instance. It says, Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble, and get this, and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, when Jesus asked Peter and me to get that colt, I should have realized what was going on here. Or take Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9 of his book, written over 500 years before. Daniel specifically identified the very day Messiah would enter Jerusalem. He said in verse 25, You are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now the word weeks there means units of seven years. So a week is seven years. Now get this, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given on March 14, 445 B.C. Now if you calculate from that date, seven weeks and 62 weeks, Jesus would have entered the city as Messiah on precisely the day that he did. I should have known. But what really amazes me is this. Repeatedly, Jesus used to tell us disciples in a variety of ways, that he'd have to go to Jerusalem and die. One day he got very specific. He said, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and all the things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. It went right over my head. Well, I learned a third lesson I'll never forget. Pay close attention to the Word of God. Don't assume you know it. Don't gloss over it. Study it. Ask God to give you insight. You see, it was all there. So much of what Jesus did was explicit fulfillment of prophecy. And I still missed it. I went through a lot of pain because I assumed too much about God's Word, and I wasn't studying it, constantly studying it so that the deeper meaning of what God wanted to show me that I could see. But now I tell you, studying God's Word is one of my major joys and pursuits these days because it tells me so much about God and what He's doing in the world. In fact, the Word of God has become such a delight to me that the Lord has given me the opportunity and privilege to write five of the books of the New Testament. Well, it's been a while since I talked to folks about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday. It was a good day, and it was a bad day. But I'm a little smarter now. I've learned some key lessons, lessons I want you to learn without being as dumb as I was. Can I have a witness? Can I have an amen? Yes, I was kind of blind when Jesus came to Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday. But I won't be so blind the next time because I know that the next time Jesus comes to Jerusalem, He will come from heaven 
with the saints and the armies of God. And there will be another voice of a great multitude as a sound of many waters and mighty peals of thunders. And they will say, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord, and He will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And this time, I won't be disappointed. And this time, I won't be so dense. How about you? <laughs>